This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Welcome to another podcast from InsideCarolina.com, the independent voice of UNC Sports. Brought to you by JohnnyTShirt.com, the go-to provider for all your Tar Heel gear. I'm your host, Tommy Ashley. You're listening Danny. to the Inside Carolina podcast, sponsored by Johnny T-Shirt, JohnnyTShirt.com. Take a chance to rate us, review us, do all that stuff. Subscribe on YouTube. It, it really helps us. You can leave reviews, say whatever you want to say, good and bad. We like it all. It's all good for us when you leave us a review, especially a five-star review. And one thing before I forget, if you leave a five-star review and ask a question, we'll get to them at some point in these podcasts, either with Greg Barnes, Jason Staples, or whoever the guest may be. It has been quite a day. Full disclosure, we're recording this on Thursday afternoon. Uh, there has been a football cancellation. A very big uh, member of the defense is academically ineligible. I've got Greg Barnes and Jason Staples with me. If you're on YouTube, I'll let Jason's uh, appearance speak for itself. I'm going to go to Greg first. Uh, Greg, I don't know which is bigger news for North Carolina. I, I think the second part is. First part, Charlotte cancels because of COVID. Second part, Miles Wolfolk uh, is academically ineligible after graduating last December. Yeah, that, that's a good question. I think the Charlotte news is, is interesting just because it's the first uh, – COVID-related uh, change-up, adjustment, if you will, to the schedule. And as Bubba Cunningham said Thursday afternoon, I mean, they knew something like this was going to happen. They didn't know when, but they knew something like this was going to happen. Uh, and, and I made mention of this in one of the uh, message board threads. But in, in all the conversations I've had with people around the program over the last three months or so, nobody really seemed optimistic that Carolina would get all 11 games in or even before the ACC announced uh, the revised schedule, you know, all 12 games in, just because of how things were going to play out. So here we are uh, with this situation. But, but I kind of agree with you. I think that the bigger news for UNC specifically is losing, you know, your, arguably your best safety in Miles Wolfe. He's a kid that um, is really the heart and soul of this defense. He's a veteran. Uh, he came in January of 2016. So when North Carolina was at the at the top of where it's been the last 20 years, and he, he was able to play – actually redshirted in 2016, but he was on the team during a pretty good year. They didn't quite meet expectations. And then he had injuries, and Carolina's program kind of went on a downward trend, and now he was able to come back and even had injuries last year uh, in Mac Brown's first year. So he's run the gummit. Um, and I think it's really a situation where they needed him desperately to shore up the back. I mean, you had some guys that decided to opt out while they may not have been starters, they were guys that were going to be contributors. And he's got a couple young young guys around him and Don Chapman and, and Cam Kelly, who they like and guys who are talented. But you like having that veteran back there. And, uh, you know, Miles is a great guy, comes from a great family, um, and graduated back in December. So everything seemed to be going perfectly 
right for him. And then just an unfortunate misstep uh, by him academically. And uh, that, has, that has ended his North Carolina career. And it, it's really a, an issue for, for J.B. Bateman moving forward because now he's down uh, four defensive backs, not including Bryce Watts, the cornerback. So really four, four safety-type players. And here we were three four months ago talking about how, how deep that secondary actually was. I know, Jason, you come in, uh, I bring you in on Miles, you come in with a, a defensive backfield that's two pages deep, not just too deep, two pages deep on the roster sheet almost, and now they're down four guys for varying reasons. Uh, it makes things quite challenging for Jay Bateman to fashion together a, a coherent defense on the back end. Yeah, and, and it's, I mean, the, the guy that you feel worst for on this is the guy who's really responsible for not basically taking care of business, which is Wolfolk. I think they've got the bodies to be able to handle it. Uh, I think they've got the players to be able to absorb it. I mean, if they have to, they can put uh, – got, they, they, they've got some other players that they can rotate over to safety and use for, for depth there. I mean, you've got uh, <laughs> you got one guy that they're wanting to get – playing at all five positions anyway. So when they're in their base package, when they don't have five DBs, which really is their base package, really, in terms of how many reps they get, they can still get those guys out. Uh, they, they can still get four really quality DBs on the field. And based on my assessment of the talent level, I mean, you look at Don Chapman and some of these other guys, those guys can all play. Uh, but it does make you that much more vulnerable if suddenly you have a couple guys get quarantined, if you have another injury or two, that's where it really gets hard. And I think that's, that's the thing to watch for as the season goes forward. And this is why it's so hard to win consistently is this stuff always happens and you have to have the depth to absorb it. And I think Carolina does have, still have pretty good depth in the secondary, but this is, you know, just one more sort of, paper cut bigger than a paper cut this is a big deal because I I, I really like Wolfolk as a as a player uh, and as a leader on that team and uh, you know it's it's a big loss Greg when you you talk about losing you mentioned the leadership aspect of it and Colin's got some young talent back there um, that's almost to Jason's point about the bodies that can cover it, the leadership, like you mentioned earlier, but I think that's the biggest thing. I mean, not only leadership on the field, but leadership off the field, handle your business off the field, grad school work, do whatever you got to do and handle your business. And, and he fell short of that. Nobody feels worse about it than he does. I'm sure. But I mean, leadership comes in many forms and he lacked there on that, uh, on that off the field version of it. Well, coaches talk all the time, and, and Mac Brown is included here, about the importance of building a culture. And, and that really begins with the players. The, the coaches set the principles and kind of the guidelines, the framework, if you will. But it's the players that really kind of have to live up to it. And, and what you want is you want a guy like Miles, who has played a ton of games over various years. He's been through some highs. He's been through some lows. He's dealt with injury. He's dealt with uh, adversity. And he was really a guy coming in that they thought, you know what, we do have some young pieces in the back seven, especially in the secondary. And we like those young pieces, but we need somebody to really make sure they kind of come together and gel and understand that things are going to be hard sometimes and things are going to be tough and things may not be fair, but you got to deal with it. Uh, and I think that's really what you're, you're losing here is, you, yes, he's a great player, but to your point, Tommy, 
uh, just the seasoning that he's had. I mean, he's seen everything that you can see in a college game pretty much. He, he's seen uh, competitive games late. He's seen blowouts. He's seen blowouts both ways. Uh, and so he understands what it takes. And so removing that piece from the puzzle, yes, Don Chapman's a great talent. Yes, Cam Kelly's going to be a great talent. They haven't played much. They need guidance. Um, they, they need polishing. And, and that's not having Miles back there really hurts, and that puts more of an onus on, on the coaching staff, and that kind of limits what you can do culture-wise right now. Jason, when you scouted Wolfolk, um, and if you're listening and you haven't read Jason Staples' scouting reports, uh, what'd you do? A couple dozen? Very yeah, it was about, positions. I think, 25, something like that. So 24, 25 positions or, or players that Jason scouted extensively and ranked them in all. Talk about what Carolina loses as a player for somebody that may have not may have not looked at that scouting report. Yeah, I mean, actually, the sad thing about this, or one of the many sad things about this, is that when I went through and I looked at at I was looking at other players on the defense, breaking down their their stuff, and in the games where he was actually playing before he got hurt last year and had to miss the rest of the year, <laughs> Wolfolk just kept flying onto the screen. He was just there. And that, that's one of the things that you notice, you take notice of when you're, when you're scouting teams and players is that guy keeps showing up. <laughs> and one of the things that just, sh that, that, that stood out about him is he is, as I put it in the, in the, uh, in, in the scouting report, he's a tough SOB and he plays the chip on his shoulder and will throw his body into the fray. You see him flying towards, you know, a ball carrier with three or four other guys around him. And the guy that makes contact is Miles Wolfolk. Uh, and, you know, a, a bit of a ball hawk as well. A guy who at different points last year, early in the year, got his hands on the football and found ways to make it, to make some splash plays just by being smart and playing with a high football IQ and being in the right position and, and doing it with, uh, an aggressive edge where, you know, you're, he's the kind of guy that he's going to get his hands on balls. He's going to be the guy that's going to be around the football to recover the fumble because he's always running to the ball and running into the pile. Uh, and, you know, three interceptions last year on 271 snaps, that's pretty dang good. So you're losing one of the guys that you got some really good players in the secondary, but he's the one guy that has really proven to be a, a playmaker in the sense of being able to take take and, and, and being able to get some takeaways, generate some takeaways by getting his hands on the football with interceptions, with pass break, pass breakups, that sort of thing. And that I think is, is along with the leadership aspect, one of the biggest losses, if not the biggest loss is you're looking at a guy that you can kind of count on to cause a problem here or there, maybe a splash, a splash play here or there for, for the defense. Yep, he sealed the South Carolina game. And and for those that uh, listened to our Inside Carolina Live show on Saturday on WCHL 97.9 The Hill and streamed it, there'll be links here for it. They're replaying the South Carolina game after our pregame show. Our, our pregame show that's not a pregame show on Saturday, uh, they're replaying that game. And Greg Wolf won that game for Carolina in the end. That, that's the type of player that Carolina lost. And that's why I wanted to lead with him. Um, but, Greg, the biggest news or some more big news that we talked about and everybody knows about is COVID cost Carolina a matchup against Charlotte on the 19th. 
they knew it would happen. Uh, like you said, the schedule sort of built in for that, but speak to the sensitivity and, and how easy it is or how fragile maybe is a better word that this season, this 2020 season is for yeah. Carolina and everybody. Right. Now, I think there was a period of time there when the Big Ten and the Pac-12 decided they were not going to play. Uh, Mac Brown even said at that point in time, he had serious doubts that this season was going to take place. Um, and everything was on shaky ground up until that point. But once we got through that week, I think everybody in, in the Big 12 and the SEC and the ACC, everybody kind of had a collective uh, you know, release. You know, everybody's like, ah, like, we made it. We got through this. Everything's going to be peachy. It's going to be fine. But if you've been paying attention to what's going around you know, the country, even in the ACC, we've seen some things uh, happen where games have been rescheduled. I mean, Georgia Southern had like 30 players that couldn't play last weekend. Virginia, Virginia Tech uh, had to be rescheduled. I guess that game is now December 12th, I believe. Yeah. Um, So you're pushing it there for for Christmas purposes. Um, So we've seen a lot of these motions going on. And somebody on the message board thread earlier said, you know, I expected something like this to happen, uh, but I didn't think it would happen because of one or two cases. And I think that's kind of the crux of this issue is because, you know, in talking with people about this situation in the past couple of weeks, it was really never a major concern about having a rash of COVID cases, positive cases, right? Um, if you have a bunch of cases within your program, everybody's going to take that seriously. Everybody's going to graciously take a break and, and address it as needed. The problem is going to be is when you have all these players in position group rooms, whether it be the secondary or the offensive line or defensive line, whatever it may be, and you have one guy that gets it, well, now he's been up close to these other guys in that position group for a long time. So if you've got 15 guys in a position group and they've all been around each other and you have one guy that has it, that's a contact tracing nightmare. And that's what we have here. Um, And then when you throw in the fact that apparently one of the kids tested positive on Monday and then uh, tested negative on Wednesday, then you get into the protocol that the conference leadership and the uh, medical groups lay out. Do they cover all their bases? Do they have to look at some of this stuff and figure out, okay, well, do we have any exceptions? Uh, so there, there's a lot of moving parts here. Uh, but, but as I mentioned earlier, and as, as you alluded to there, you, Bubba, Bubba knew this was going to happen at some point. Um, you hate it happening, but you have to be realistic. And, and given how things are playing out with, with positive tests and especially the, the contact tracing element of it, there's going to be games that are rescheduled. And that's why the ACC told these teams before the season started, look, you may get done with the game on Saturday. You may start – Sunday prepping for your next opponent and we may call you and say hey you know what you're prepping for for Virginia Tech on Saturday you're not playing Virginia Tech anymore you're playing Clemson and that that may happen um, and I think one thing that you're seeing so many changes have been made earlier in the year as we get deeper into the season you have less wiggle room to make some of these adjustments because adjustments have already been made and so I think with the Virginia Virginia Tech game that's one where now it's being added to the end of the season so as we, as we lose these opportunities for flexibility, how does that going to affect how these schedules shape up? Uh, and that's what the ACC office is having to deal with right now. And it, I can only imagine it's, it's a logistical nightmare. Well, Buck made a good point on our um, Slack channel that we all talk, Inside Carolina folks talk about, is with Virginia Tech and Virginia on uh, December 12th. And that forces, unless they're going to play the ACC championship, game that day with them playing too 
that forces ACC championship game to the 19th, right, Greg? And then thus opens up another open date or, or available date to reschedule some games. Right. And that's, that's one of the challenges. And as I said, ACC has been quite open in saying um, we have to be flexible. We have to adjust. The end goal is getting somebody ready to play in the college football playoff. Uh, and so as long as you get everything accomplished and give your team or teams enough time to prepare for the playoffs, that's all they're worried about. Jason, let me bring you in here. As, as far as a player, from a player standpoint, how difficult it is it to be that flexible during a college football season? Honestly, from a player's standpoint, <clears throat> it's not that difficult because you're, you're worried about what, you're, what you've got on the daily. Players are not having to do the long-range planning. It's really hard on coaches and on support staff and on GAs in particular because what you're doing, you have to be prepping one week not only for the opponent for that week, you've got people assigned to look at the next opponents and to already be, be working towards some of that in terms of some of your support staff and scouting and all of that. When you get together on Sunday, you need to have your preliminary, I mean, as a general rule, and we've talked about this on this podcast before, as a general rule, you come into a season having done your, pre, your preseason game plans. You, you're coming in with a game plan that was already put together in February, March, and then polished a little bit over the summer as you evaluate more and more stuff. And then when you get into camp, you again, have guys, you know, keeping track of who's winning jobs and that sort of thing in other, uh, on other uh, teams from your schedule. And then from there you end up having to, um, uh, when you, when you get together on Sunday, the week of the game, so you, you finish Saturday, you grade your tape, you do all that. When you have your coaches meeting on Sunday, you're already starting with preparation so that you're not starting from scratch with the opponent. You, have, uh, you, ha you already have a lot of stuff that then you have to update as you're watching stuff and you're looking at stuff as a staff and you're starting to finalize game plan stuff. And then by the time you get through Monday, you, you basically have your game plan set. Well, now all of a sudden – your schedule changed. So that means you don't have all the preparation that you, for some of these teams, you didn't prep in the off season. And then you're going to find out with one day's notice or, you know, basically zero days notice. You get a phone call on Sunday that, Oh, you're, you're the opponents changed. And now you're playing a team that wasn't on your schedule before. Uh, now you, you have to basically start from scratch or if you're a team with a lot of resources or, you know, really highly organized coaches and you know, that might happen. You've got some other people in your program that are that are actually keeping an eye on other uh, on other teams and doing potential preliminary game plans and that sort of thing for teams that you're not even going to play. So you know that's something that that again, if you've got a super resourced program, I mean, I wouldn't be surprised if Clemson right now has is preparing for a couple of the teams has guys at least looking at film for a couple of the teams that are not on their schedule just in case, because that's just, they've got the resources to do it. They've got the staff to do it and, you know, make better to be a, a little bit overprepared for that and maybe pull those resources away a little bit from the teams that are actually on your schedule. than they get stuck with the team that all of a sudden has a chance to throw stuff at you that you have no idea what's coming. So, 
really hard for coaches, for players, you get your, you get your game plan. <laughs> when, when, when the week starts, it's a new week and you, you don't ha you're not doing that planning. It's, you're literally just doing what you're told every day on, okay, here's what we're, here's what we're covering. Here's what we're installing this week. Here's what we're doing. And you just do that. And that doesn't change regardless of who's on the schedule. You don't really pay attention to the next team on the schedule. You just, you got to do what you got to do that week. And it really is a one day at a time situation for players. Uh, Tommy, I, I think that's a, an excellent point. That's the one I had not thought of. It, it kind of makes me think back to the NCAA investigation with UNC when, when Butch Davis was here. And Alabama, I remember looking, had eight compliance officers on staff. Carolina had three. And so Alabama had enough people to handle the unique situation if it came to them. Carolina did not. Um, and, you know, Alabama has the same kind of staff that Clemson does. He's got all kinds of – I mean, you – We've seen it at Alabama over the years, right? I mean, their offensive coordinator gets a job somewhere else in the playoffs, and what happens? They pull Steve Sarkeesian off the bench, right? Because he's an offensive analyst or whoever it may be, Loxley, right? Um, that, that is what separates kind of the elite high-profile programs and everybody else. And so I didn't think about it like that, but that's a great point, Jason. And if things spiral out of control anymore in the coming months, hopefully they don't, but if they do – that will be a, a, quite the advantage for teams like Clemson. Yep, it's all about the elite programs, and that's why they're elite. They eventually get there. It's easier to – I don't know. I was going to say it's easier to stay elite than to get there, no. but maybe that's not accurate. I see you shaking yeah, it's, your head. Yeah, it's, it's – the reason that those teams have to invest those kind of resources is that when you're on top, it's a lot harder to stay on top than it is to actually get to where you can have two or three great seasons in a row. But, I mean, I mean, heck, look at Florida State right now. Look at what happened with Jimbo Fisher there. They, 20, 2012 through 2014, that was the best program in the country. They got there for three years. And then just a couple things happen. You lose, you lose a, a, a control of, of one position. Really, it was a quarterback position that they suddenly weren't – they didn't have the recruits at that position to, to be able to reload – partly because they didn't expect Winston to leave early when they first signed him and partly because Jacob Coker transferred and partly because another guy got kicked off the team and so on. And then you go from being a national championship one year, a playoff team the next, and look at where they are right now. I mean, they're way behind North Carolina in the ACC in terms of, in terms of actual performance and, and expectation for the remainder of the year. It's really hard, and, and when you get there, teams start gunning for you, and they start prepping for you differently. Uh, you know, I can tell you right now, watching the film from uh, Clemson UNC versus, or Florida State UNC, Clemson held stuff back all year to be able to kick a little – to be able to, you know, kick Florida State a few extra times while they were down just in case. And you could see, like, they reserved some stuff. And, and made sure that they put that they double tapped them before those athletes there could could get a little bit of confidence. And you can see that even even when you're down, if you've been up before, teams plan for you differently. And players, you know, players might play just a little bit different against you as well. So it's it's really hard. One other thing I do want to backtrack a little bit because Greg said something really really important about the uh, the contact tracing when you have one case in a position group, for example. One of the things that's interesting is that some of the really organized staffs across, across the country, what they've done is they've completely reshuffled 
like their locker rooms in terms of like position groups are not grouped together in their locker rooms. They've re restructured who's rooming with whom on the road or have tried to get, you know, tried to, to move guys around in terms of, you know, <laughs> housing situations, because what they don't want is you've got three quarterbacks and those and two, you know, quarterbacks room together on the road. You can't have that. And all of a sudden, you know, you get one, you get your, 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 uh, your backup quarterback gets a positive test. And now you're, now you're, uh, your starter also is out because your starter has been rooming with the backup. No, you want your starting quarterback rooming with the backup punter <laughs> or with the, you know, a defensive lineman. And then your backup quarterback is rooming with the defensive back. And so why? Because you want to make sure that if there is contact tracing quarantine that comes in, that your, that your losses are not all clustered in one spot. You want to lose, you know, one guy here, one guy here, two guys there instead of, well, we actually are going to have to move, you know, two defensive backs to running back this week. And uh, we're going to have to move a, a linebacker to quarterback because we don't have anyone at those positions anymore. Right. And it's just, it's changed how teams are even dealing with meeting rooms and things like that, because they're trying to ensure that guys are not going to, that you're not going to lose an entire position group. And this is something actually, I, I, I haven't had a chance to talk to, um, to anyone in the Carolina program specifically about what they're doing on that front. But as organized as Mac Brown is, I would, I would venture to, to guess that they've made some, some changes and shuffled some things around a little bit on their side to do, to do some of this as well. It would be interesting to look at um, from a, a Greg Barnes standpoint or Ross Martin standpoint. Greg, let me ask you one more question on the football side, or at least on this topic probable opponents for Carolina not to have two weeks off. Uh, we've seen it on the message boards. And like I told people earlier, we're recording this Thursday afternoon. By the time you hear it on Friday morning, it could be completely different. So take it with a grain of salt. But, Greg, there are some teams out there that are possible, right? Yes. And I think the, the interesting thing about this is we've talked about this before, Tommy, but the main reason you're playing this, this football season and the main reason we're seeing sports being played, especially at the professional level, is money. Nope. Well, forget that. It's about money. And one of the things about that, <laughs> one of the things about that is Bubba said on Thursday, right, after Charlotte announced they had to cancel the game, Bubba said he got a phone call from another athletic director at a different school offering to come to town to play on Saturday. Within two days, he had somebody calling him wanting to come play. I wonder if that was Army, because Army has been calling everyone over the past four or five days. There have there, been some interesting reports about that. Army got a, a game canceled uh, against, I think it was Houston. I can't remember for sure. But Army has been absolutely desperate to try to fill that spot. <laughs> so I bet you I, I would – I would take Army against the field on that, on that one. Yeah, Houston and, Houston and Rice out of Texas both had uh, a lot of cancellations early in the year because of you know, spread around Houston area. Um, but Bubba said, of course, no, you've you got to have more time to get the, get the players prepared. And it, you, know, <laughs> you can do it, but that's kind of not what you're, you're aiming to do. You want it to have some, some opportunity to scout and actually prepare for an opponent. Alabama uh, we, would not want to play Army on, on, <laughs> on two days or three days of preparation. Right, Look right. out. <laughs> the um so what you're left with is okay the acc guidelines right you have to play the game 
if it's non-conference, within the ACC school's home state. It doesn't have to be a team from in-state, but it has to be played within the home state. And then they have to be willing to meet the ACC guidelines for, for COVID protocol. Those are the two big hurdles. So when you start looking at just kind of local schools, there's really nobody. I mean, you know, the MEAC, for example, uh, they've suspended their season. So that's North Carolina A&T and North Carolina Central. They're out. Appalachian State, I believe, is playing Campbell this weekend. Those teams are out. ECU's playing somebody this week. They're out. So really the only local team that you could do that's actually playing is Coastal Carolina. And they, of course, went out to Lawrence and beat Kansas last weekend. They're available to play. Uh, and that's really the only one within the region. But when you kind of get out of the state, or out of the Carolinas at least, you've got teams like Marshall, who has an open date, Middle Tennessee, They've come to North Carolina before. Navy, which is really a dumpster fire. We've touched on that before, and they're opener against BYU. And then Western Kentucky. And Western Kentucky has got a good team. So those are kind of the main teams that are available. And so if Bubba's really pushing to get a game played on the 26th, he certainly can do it. It's just going to be a matter of how quickly they can get that set up. And it's got to fit within the other team's schedule in terms of there not being too many long, straight stretches of games, if you will. Uh, Coastal Carolina, for example, I think their second bye week is like October 10th. So while they'd be giving up one bye week on September 26th, they would turn around and have a bye week two weeks later. That sounds like that'd be a pretty good fit. That'd be a pretty cool game. But we'll just have to wait and see how quickly this, this comes about. Uh, that is a – sounds like that could be a probable. But like I said, by the time you listen to this podcast <laughs> on early Friday morning, it could be set, it could be decided, or it could have been blown off by now. I'm going to take a short break. Talk about Johnny T-Shirt and JohnnyT-Shirt.com. They're sponsors of the podcast, sponsors of Inside Carolina, great friends of Inside Carolina, and great friends, therefore, of our Inside Carolina subscribers. You get all sorts of deals at Johnny T-Shirt. Constant sales going on, football jerseys. There's throwback jerseys on sale at Johnny T-Shirt. Mm. <laughs> Johnny T-Shirt these days. So uh, Jason was waiting with the button to get that one in. Johnny T-Shirt, of course, 10% off your order either online or in person if you're Inside Carolina Premium subscriber. You know what's amazing? In 2020, they'll bring it to your door. It's amazing to me that I could call somebody and they'll bring it straight to my door or get on the internet and they'll bring it Johnny T-shirt shop on their local. They need your support. Um, as always, support them, support Inside Carolina podcast. Take Bobby, have you seen, uh, you seen Wally, the Disney movie Wally? Like Wall-E? Yeah. The robot, yes. So I think, I think 2020 has kind of pushed us in that oh. regard, right? <laughs> we can just sit in our chair and hit a button and everything will be brought to us. It would we can be uh, necked out in excellent North Carolina gear from Johnny T-shirt, uh, but anything else you want, we'll have it at our disposal. Yeah, so you're saying we should be ordering a size up from what we are? Yes. yes. Already have, Jason. Already have. Yeah, yeah, really. I've actually done well. Let me take a break. Let the national people come in here, sell their wares. We'll be right back at the, on the uh, Game Plan Without the Game podcast. eBay Motors is here for the ride. Remember when you first saw the potential? And then through some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. Look to your left. Look to your right. It's official. No one's got a ride like this. There's nothing else that sounds like, feels like, or looks like the set of wheels in your garage. With over 122 million parts, you can make sure your number one ride or die stays running smoothly, so there's no limit to how far you can take it. Brake kits, turbochargers, engines, exhaust kits, roof racks, LED headlights, bumpers, whatever your baby needs, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, 
It's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus, at these prices, well, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Introducing the two-way V4, where groundbreaking fuel cell technology meets fresh foam cushioning for the ultimate performance. With fuel cell, each step feels explosive, delivering unparalleled energy return. Paired with fresh foam, experience maximum comfort throughout the game. Its lightweight textile upper offers support and breathability without sacrificing agility. Whether you're hitting the clutch shot or locking down the opposition, the two-way V4 gives you the tools to play at a high level. Learn more and purchase the two-way for yourself at newbalance.com. Okay, we're back. Uh, the game plan podcast, of course, Charlotte canceled the game with North Carolina. So we're talking about other stuff. Miles Wolf, the cancellation, COVID, Johnny T-shirts, great ability to bring gear straight to your home. Uh, Jason Staples is um, indisposed at times, but he's with us right now. And Jason, uh, if folks are watching on YouTube, this has been quite eventful. You will wonder why uh, people lose their trains of thought when they talk to Jason at certain times, but I'm going to make you have to think, right? We're going to talk about those, uh, those scouting videos you've done. And this is a perfect time for Greg Barnes and you to kick shop. You did 25 people. Who was the highest rated North Carolina football player um, out of those 25 not named Sam Howell? And I don't even think Sam Howell was the highest rated one. It was not. Um, the, the two highest were, uh, were Chaz Surratt, who was the highest on the defense, and uh, Javante Williams, who I had the highest on the offense. So um, both of those guys I graded out as probable early round draft picks, uh, as guys that in terms of the traits that they bring to the table, they, they have basically what the NFL is looking for. So tell me this, what went into scouting each person? What, what did you do to build the scouting report that you've done uh, for each of these 25 start, start to finish? What'd you do? So, and sorry, my voice is going to be a little bit more muffled. I'm, for those of you who are not seeing this in uh, on YouTube, as Tommy has mentioned, I'm actually at the hospital right now. My wife gave birth to our second child just a little bit uh, earlier this morning. So I'm, uh, outside the room and they just asked me to uh, make sure that I put my mask on, even though I'm just sort of standing outside the door right now, but uh, it's understandable. I'll, I'll do that. So here we go. Um, anyway. Um, so what I, what I did is uh, first of all, I had to collect a lot of film, uh, which can be tricky. Um, so I had to, I had to get my hands on film. I got as much coaches film as I could. And some of it I got actually too late in the process to actually make it work. And uh, the, the best thing that I could do uh, was to use broadcast footage. And for some players, that's not that bad. I mean, if you're, if you're scouting a linebacker, for example, broadcast footage oftentimes is going to give you quite a lot. If you are scouting a defensive back, you can't really do much with most broadcast footage because you're just not seeing what they're doing. So uh, where I could get coaches film, I, I got coaches film uh, and then, uh, I put together templates based on how NFL teams uh, and also a lot of college teams apply very similar scouting scales, but I basically applied NFL standard NFL scouting scales to, uh, to, to each position group so that 
basically there's a set of traits that different coaches value at, at, at those position groups and they want to assess how good a player is at this or that trait. Uh, and so you have that scale and then you have an overall scale based on how that player projects uh, at different levels. So essentially uh, I put those templates together and then from that point, it's a matter of just breaking down and watching a bunch of film, a bunch of, of, of games and you watch the same plays over and over and over again to see, okay, what do I see from this player? What, what happens when the, when they ask this player to do this, where, what do I see when this player, you know, thinking about Chaz Surratt, what happens when uh, you watch, you know, say two games and you're just watching Surratt and you're going back and you're winding it back and you're taking a look at Surratt in each play. And then you go, oh, what was his job? Okay. So that's his job there. Okay. He did his job. Okay. So how quickly did he trigger? Okay. And then you assess that for, for various plays and you get a feel for what that player is able to do. So you, you spend some time watching the film uh, and you, and you basically isolate where that player's strengths and weaknesses sort of fit, fit together. Uh, and then from that point, what I would do is I would actually write out my impressions. So if you're looking at, for example, uh, I'm pulling up my Chaz Surratt one here. Uh, I, you know, you, you start to notice specific strengths and it's like, okay, what jumps out? And you've got strengths, weaknesses, different things like that. And with, with Surratt, the thing that jumps out most of all, and this is true, even when I was, when I first watched Surratt at, uh, at linebacker in practice, was one of those, like, you, you, you kind of, your eyes kind of pop open, like, whoa, this guy moves so smoothly for this position. And, you know, he's a, he's a big guy, you know, he's, he's about 230 pounds and he moves like a safety. Okay. So already rare speed and agility you, you put that in the plus column and then you know okay so how well does he then apply that i want to see various games where he's been asked to cover slot receivers or quicker players how well does he handle that where are some weaknesses or where are some strengths where do those show up in those cases so i want to break i want to look at specific plays where that happens and then i, I take my notes on that and i put that down on my strengths and then you start to notice, okay, how, how well does he pursue? Those sorts of things. And you go down and you check those off. And then I'd write my, do my little write-up, strengths, weaknesses. And then I try to assess, okay, what's best case scenario? What could this player actually achieve if this player completely meets, meets potential? What's the most likely kind of top-level top ceiling? And then for some of these players, I actually went back, and this is, a, this is something that I just have done for a long time anytime I do scouting. I actually have a, 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 a library. So this is one of the things that when I'm doing scouting of, uh, of high school prospects, I have a library of former high school prospects who then went on to success in college in the NFL draft and the NFL. So that it, it sort of keeps you honest to say, okay, what does, it, what does a superstar look like at this position? Because every high school player's tape looks fantastic when you're watching their highlights. But when you watch Adrian Peterson's highlights, <laughs> it's different from watching even most five-star running backs in any given year, right? You might have two or three five-star running backs in a given year, then you watch them, and then you watch Adrian Peterson, and you're like, okay, that's a six-star. <laughs> that's what that looks like. Okay, so that's what a top-level player looks like at this at this position. Or you you go you go and you find, you know, a corner, and like I added Jalen Ramsey as one of my 
if there's a longer corner, this is what a great high school prospect who has some length at the corner position looks like. And so I'll watch that and then compare, what do I see? So somebody like Chaz Surratt, I'm looking for, uh, for other people who have similar size profiles, similar size speed profiles, that sort of thing. And then I go and take a look at the tape and say, okay, who does he play most like? And how does he compare to some of these guys? And so then I try to get a comp on the basis of that. So for Surratt, I actually, I, I felt like the, the closest I could come was Ryan Shazier. And then from that point, it's a little bit of projection. And then at the end of all this, I edit together a video of various clips that try to show specific things, narrate over that video, and that's that. So it's a pretty involved process for each player. Jason, Tommy missed the, uh, the most pressing question, and I'll have to work with him on his radio hosting skill set. Uh, the turnip, I bumped my head on the turnip truck. That's, that's and, right. That's, that's exactly right. Uh, <laughs> I'm, guessing, I'm guessing since you, your child has been born, you've already been able to, to run the, the baby through some drills. How would you evaluate your new addition in terms of are we looking at a, uh, a wide receiver like Papa, or are we talking more offensive line, defensive tackle type? Well, considering that there is, at this point is still no, uh, no female football at that level, uh, I would guess that this one probably ends up in another sport. It's, it's 18 years away. Let's... I, at that point, I'm not sure we're going to have college sports. <laughs> I mean, I, being completely candid, I, I just don't know that, the, that our, we've had a higher education bubble for a long time. And COVID-19 has begun to show some of the real weaknesses of that, that we're already showing a little bit, but a lot of that's been that much more revealed. And you look at some of the changes that are coming down the pike, who knows what's going to be coming in 18 years. But this one I'm sure will uh, we'll be introduced to quite a few sports. Uh, and, speed you know, speed like golf? Are you, going, are you going to introduce her in speed oh, golf? Oh, the, this one, just like the other one, will be out with me on the golf course by two, by two, three months old. And, you know, they'll be better players than me by about seven or eight years old. So <laughs> Nice. Um, that went a little bit different direction than I intended, Jason. So I, I'll follow up with this one. I think most people, and maybe this is me projecting, but I think most people were probably found the video that was most enlightening to be Joshua Zudu. Uh, because Zudu is a good player, but also because offensive line is, is so difficult to, to judge and evaluate. Um, what, what really popped about him that, that you liked? Well, it's just rare that you see a guy that's that big that moves as smoothly and easily as he does. So, you know, anytime you're, you're evaluating a lineman, one of the first things that, you know, the, the, the most obvious thing that sticks out right away is size. And that's one of the things, by the way, that makes, thing, makes it really hard to evaluate offensive linemen at the high school level is it, it's really easy to fall into the trap of, oh, that big guy is just flattening everybody in front of him. <laughs> you know, you get a 300-pound guy in, in high school, and he, he should be winning. He should be putting, you know, the high school, the 210-pound high schooler across from him on his back every play. But that doesn't really necessarily translate to the next level because at the next level, he's going to be going against a 290-pound or, you know, 260-pound guy who can really move and who has, you know, comparable strength. So now you have to bring in all of these additional skills to be able to mirror and to be able to move your feet in specific ways 
And that's why it's such a difficult thing to, to evaluate that position at the uh, moving from the high school to the college level. But again, it's still the first thing that sticks out. And this dude is huge. I mean, I remember when I first saw him and McKeith and in practice, uh, one of those like, man, where did they find these guys? I mean, these guys are huge. And I'm talking, I mean, I played at Florida state when we had a, a massive offensive line and some freakish athletes. And these are that kind of physique. I mean, you're talking about a guy that's six, six, four plus 325 and does not stick out in his gut past his chest. So he, you know, you, you notice just that aspect of things like, oh, wow, just how put together he is. That's already there. And then the next thing is I want to see, I want to see how he moves his feet. And when you watch him move his feet, when you watch Azudu move his feet at that size, it's it, that at that point you just go, wow, there are very few 300 plus pound guys that are able to bend at the waist or bend, I'm sorry, bend at the hips, not at the waist, able to bend at the hips, bend those knees and move those feet the way that he does. And then you see him skip pull, which a skip pull is where you step back as a guard and you kind of shuffle sideways. And it's, it's sort of like when, uh, playing defense on basket, in basketball where you're shuffling in that kind of athletic position. And for most big guys, they just kind of look lumbering when they're doing it. But when you see a guy that looks smooth and is able to do that and maintain balance and control and then deliver a blow just sort of whenever he sees something, something uh, pop, that again is you just notice those things and you say, this guy has unusually good feet, unusually good movement skills and coordination. And then the final thing is arm length. Not only is he tall, he's got longer arms for his size than, than is normal. And you combine those things and oh my goodness. I mean, you, that, the, the importance of arm length for, for the line of scrimmage is hard to overstate because how quickly you get your hands on a guy matters. And then if you can get your hands on him and he can't get his hands to your chest because your arms are that much longer than him, that, that's going to win you a lot of battles alone. So he's got plus arm length. He's already big and, you know, big and strong and, and is able to move guys. And the ability to move and mirror like a much smaller man. And, you know, you see him leading out on screens and things and he moves. It's almost like watching a huge tight end. And you go, man, that, that is a rare talent at that position. And he's a guy that, I mean, you don't see a whole lot of guys like that. In, in college football. And I think he, I think he's a potential first rounder at the position, quite honestly, because the, the combination of size and movement skills are, are really un, unusual. I mean, you, you know, I, I'm not a recruiting guy in terms of evaluation, uh, but I believe it was 2007. Uh, Carolina was playing at Virginia tech and uh, Don Callahan went with me. We decided uh, he wanted to go see Bobby Massey. who's currently playing for the Chicago Bears, has been in the, the league for eight or nine years. Uh, but he was playing for Lynchburg Christian Academy, which is a private school up in Lynchburg. And they played at, at Liberty's Stadium, which even back then was you know, incredible. And so we go, and I'm actually taking pictures for Don while he's talking to coaches and talking to players and taking notes and all this stuff that, that Don does. And with it being a kind of a private, a small private conference, 
I mean, there was a lot of kids out there playing defensive line for the other team that were probably 5'10", and, you know, 200 pounds or so. And here you got Massey, who's 6'6", 315, and he could move. I mean, he was an athletic guy at 6'6", 315. And he was just throwing these kids around like ragdolls. And I, I realized at that point in time, he didn't have to have any technique whatsoever. He didn't have to have any athleticism whatsoever. He was so much bigger than everybody on the other team that he was just kind of swatting them away. He wasn't even having to work very hard. Um, and so when you see that and then you kind of see how difficult evaluating these guys can be, especially when you're projecting them from high school to college, but even then from college to NFL is another big step. So I find it fascinating watching Jason break these down because it's just a, it's an eye that I don't have. Uh, but when you, when you hear him explain it, it kind of pops on screen for you. So it's, I recommend everybody listening. If you haven't looked through Jason's evaluation clips, do it. It's, it's a good way. Uh, you got a Saturday free now, right? So it's, it's a good way to spend your Saturday if you're not watching the ball games. Yeah. And, and learn a lot and you can learn a ton from Jason and all those videos you know, the, the play breakdowns and all that, but when, if you want to get deep into the weeds and understanding the game, check out Jason's 25-player um, essay on evaluations. Great stuff, Jason. You've been – look, you're going to win the MVP for the day's podcast because you are literally in the hospital hours after your wife gives birth to your second child and you're still doing this podcast. I mean, a lot of Inside Carolina workers could – could step it up like you man this place would be something i'm going to uh, oh, that's brutal <laughs> folks that don't know mr staples and uh, know that it could not be more hilarious seeing this if you're not watching on youtube you gotta at least check it out look at it jason i'm gonna cut you loose though i'm gonna let you go greg and i are gonna talk a few more minutes but i'm going to uh relieve your anxiety about doing a podcast in a hospital hallway and let you go man i appreciate you coming on though yeah, and uh, it's always fun, guys. Of, on behalf of everybody, Jason, congratulations. Appreciate Absolutely. it. Thank you, guys. We will pour one for you. Tall glass. I can of use it, guys. I can totally use it. <laughs> <laughs> See you, Jason. See you, guys. All right, Greg, let's wrap this up. People that stayed with us get a few little nuggets. Um, we like to keep the shows separate. I know some people have recommended we keep the shows separate, but some days they, they're newsworthy. and some news that we thought maybe would come out today, um, Thursday, is North Carolina basketball schedule. At least we got a firm start date, right, Greg? We do. Uh, the original start date was November 10th, and that's been up in the air for, for months now. Uh, but as of yesterday, NCAA Division I Council announced that November 25th is going to be the official start of the 2021 basketball season. That is the Wednesday before Thanksgiving, for everybody wondering. Uh, and so by – Really where we're at, Tommy, is by pushing the season start back um, 15 days, all of a sudden that entire schedule becomes compressed. And so North Carolina, I mean, for example, Carolina had uh, a game against College of Charleston scheduled for November 13th. They had a game at Hawaii for November 20th. And then, of course, you've got Maui, uh, which had been scheduled for the 23rd, 24th, and 25th. So uh, a lot of shifting is going to have to take place. Uh, the ACC has yet. I mean, granted, you've, uh, they haven't had much time, so they're still working on it. But they have yet to announce what their conference schedule is going to be. We know it's going to be 20 games. Uh, but North Carolina and all these other teams are really kind of 
at a standstill because now you've got November 25th. You know the ACC, because they went to 20 games, has been leaking into December because you don't have enough time in January and February in that first week of March to get all 20 games in. So now if you're talking about there being ACC games the end of December, you're not starting until November 25th. You've got a month there, uh, essentially, to get in seven games, which is what North Carolina is looking at. Uh, so, so it's going to be a challenge. I saw that the battle for Atlantis has finally been canceled. How, how, how bad would it have been if they canceled last year's? I mean, how great a trip was that last year to go down and cover Carolina in Nassau? And if you had to cover it this year and it was in like Sturgis, South Dakota. It was going to be in so South about. Dakota. Hey, I'm, <laughs> I have a plane ticket booked to Maui. Uh, I, I would love to go even if North Carolina doesn't play out there. But Bubba Cunningham said Thursday, and it may come out even before this podcast goes up, uh, but Maui's not going to happen in Maui. Um, it sounds like they're in preparations of announcing uh, another place to have uh, that, that tournament. And I think that's one of the interesting things here is the way the NCAA has worded this is you know, if you're going to play in a, a tournament that has eight teams – or at least three games, you can only schedule 24 games during the regular season. Uh, and so Maui, of course, is a three-game tournament. So North Carolina is looking at a 24-game schedule beyond Maui. And with Maui being rescheduled, it could show up. I mean, Asheville's a place they're talking about for Maui. So is it better in South Dakota? Probably. No offense any South Dakotans listen to us. Uh, but still, quite a difference from Asheville to Maui. But if that's in December, you've also got – uh, contractual obligations with the ACC Big Ten tournament or, or challenge, that's going to happen. You also have contract with the CBS Sports Classic where North Carolina, I believe this year, they're playing Ohio State. Uh, so that's, that's five games accounted for. Um, and so you're talking about now, if you're aiming for 27 games, five are accounted for. So now you've only got two other ones to choose from. And you've, you had 10 games already scheduled. Uh, so a couple of these games are going to go by the wayside. And I, I think the fact that at least four of those games, we don't know about the ACC Big Ten Challenge yet, but at least four of those games are away from the Dean Dome. You would think some of these games that are away games, like at Hawaii, um, and then what's another one? At, um, at Monmouth up in, I guess, what's New Jersey. You'd have to assume those probably aren't going to happen this year. That's just me speculating. But you want to make sure you get some, some home contests for the players so they don't have to travel much in December. And so that's really what they're working on is, is really trying to figure out, okay, when, when do we have access? Meaning when is the ACC going to have their schedule in place? And then we're going to have a couple of weeks here where we got to cram all this stuff in. And so it's quite the uh, juggling act right now. Yeah. If folks think that scheduling a 10, 11 game college football season was difficult, <laughs> throwing a 27 game college basketball season it's with and, with exams Tommy I mean 10 of those days are during exam period so yeah, that's so, another whew, yeah it's, it's an amazing time we're in Greg Barnes of course covers it better than anybody um, inside Carolina live it goes on Saturday it's at 10 a.m on WCHL 97.9 the hill Greg Barnes will be a part of that we'll, we'll pull him from the press box we will not allow him to have a day off he has to come to WCHL studios We'll talk with Greg about a variety of topics. Ross, Don, they can talk man tower talk. Mike Ingersoll might show up on Inside Carolina Live. A lot of stuff going on. The game is not going on, but we still go on. Greg, much obliged for you taking time to join me today. 
Thanks, Tommy. And I'm looking forward to being in studio on Saturday. I, f- I feel like I've, I've reached the big time finally. Yeah, it is. Uh, it's pretty neat in there. And they've, they've made some special requests from me, a Johnston County resident, and I shall fulfill those requests and we will have a blast on Saturday morning. Folks, rate us, review us again, subscribe, YouTube, iTunes, Spotify, whatever, uh, Apple Music, or excuse me, Amazon Music maybe one day, but we'll, we'll be an option Inside Carolina Podcast, sponsored by Johnny T-Shirt, The Game Plan, Tommy Ashley and Greg Barnes. We'll talk soon. Thanks for listening to another podcast from InsideCarolina.com. Brought to you by JohnnyT-Shirt.com. Where to go for your next Tar Heel gear purchase. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can conquer it. I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road, the steeper the better because my all-new Santa Fe is available with H-Track all-wheel drive so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones so we'll never lose touch with civilization and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? Waste the weekend or do something a little more epic? and conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey.